if you have $100,000 today and you want to protect it, I recommend not putting it in a bank, right? And I, and I recommend not denominating it just in, in U.S. currency or dollars, fiat dollars that are going down in value. You could go buy gold. Problem is no one will rent it from you and, uh, and you can't leverage it. No one will, will lend you money to buy it. But if you go buy real estate instead, some other magical things happen. Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. Where do you store your cash reserves? In a bank, earning next to nothing interest? How about under your mattress? Precious metals, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate, fine art, classic cars? How do you create and protect generational wealth? We'll hear from a very special guest on an alternative banking strategy today on The Whole Steward. Well, this is episode number 15, and I am so thankful that you're listening. Where do you store your cash reserves? That's the question for today. And if you have been paying attention, you might be wondering, hey, are the banks secure? Now, we live in a very complex society, now a very complex economy, and life is just complicated sometimes. There's so many choices. So how do you figure out what you want to do to be a good steward? Where do you put your money? Where do you put your time? Where do you put your effort? How do you invest properly in your relationships, your wealth, your material possessions, your finances, the experience and the knowledge that you have, our culture, where do you spend your time? Now, multi-generational wealth is actually a biblical concept. If you look at Proverbs 13:22 says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Multi-generational wealth is a biblical concept. Multi-generational wealth is pleasing to the Lord. It's something that he talks about a lot. And the idea of inheritance is something that we have got from the Bible. Now, scripture is very clear to not set your hope in the uncertainty of riches or to create in your mind a stronghold out of your wealth that goes beyond what God wants for you spiritually. If you think about Job, for example, had built all this wealth and then lost it, but still needed to praise God. And then he was given it again. However, throughout Scripture, managing wealth, building wealth, and using it for God's glory, and then passing it on to your heirs, is a biblically foundational financial strategy. But while you're in charge of it, where do you store your reserves? Where do you store your cash? Where do you store your underlying foundation that is built in wisdom? Where do you store what we might call the sleep well at night fund? Now, that doesn't mean you don't trust the Lord. It just means that you store 
and steward the wealth that you have well while you're on this earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't trust the banks all that much because it may be a guaranteed loss when you put your money in the bank either way because, number one, the bank could fail and yes, we are seeing the socialization of the monetary system, which, by the way, is not a good thing. Or number two, you see the purchasing power of your deposits disappearing. So how do we get around this? What do we do? To explore this a little more, I want to bring you a different thought, an alternative banking strategy with a very special guest, Gary Pinkerton, today on The Whole Steward. Now, you have to think outside the box a little bit with this one because I'm not going to stand here and bring you necessarily things that you want to hear or that you know about already. I want to challenge our thinking. My thinking is certainly challenged, and I hope yours is too. I think it was Mark Twain that said, it's the sign of an educated mind to entertain a thought without assenting to it. So you don't have to assent to the ideas or the things that we talk about here, but I hope to challenge your thinking so that you can better understand where you are coming from and maybe open your eyes to something that might be useful to you that you haven't considered before. Now, you might be tempted to think, oh, I'm past the age where this matters for me, but this can be useful for anyone of any age. I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with my good friend, Gary Pinkerton, next on The Whole Steward. Well, our next guest is Gary Pinkerton. He's a wealth strategist, veteran, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and real estate investor, passionate about business, reducing taxes, building agency, wealth, and family legacy. He's a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, where he later taught ethics. He commanded the nuclear attack submarine USS Tucson and was a Pentagon Division Director for the Joint Chiefs before retiring as a captain. Gary owns and helps others couple high-cash-value life insurance with alternative investments. Welcome to the whole steward, Gary Pinkerton. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, being a friend of yours for a long time and watching your podcast come off the ground, uh, it's truly rewarding, and uh, I've, uh, I'm honored to be a guest on your show. Yeah, well, I have to say you were a big inspiration to me as well. Seeing you start the podcast that you have a couple of years ago uh, has really been inspiring and I'm just following along just a little bit behind you and it's really great. Yeah, it's a lot of work and it's a love of joy. It's a, uh, a journey of joy, right? Yeah. Well, look, for, for those uh, listening, can you just give us a little background on you know, where you came from, how you got to where you are? And uh, I have to say that bio is just, I mean, I'm humbled just reading it. So you know, tell us a little bit more. Yeah. Well, uh, so going way back to the beginning, so I'm 54 years old, and I grew up in the 70s and early 80s, and I was on a dairy farm in southern Illinois, 
Uh, and this was this was a, a time that rhymes. You know, they always say that history doesn't repeat, but it definitely rhymes. And so we were rhyming with my childhood, my middle school, grade school, and um, high school era. And this was a time of Jimmy Carter, where you know he was on. You know, it, Jimmy Carter's a nuclear submarine uh, commander, and he's a a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. And I realized that I could be speaking ill of the dead here very soon, but I, I'm not trying to say that. Jimmy Carter is a wonderful, wonderful American, and I hope him the best in his his last few days here with us. Uh, I met him in person, awesome guy, yet his politics and his presidency were not very strong. And they're very similar to what President Biden is putting us through today, specifically um, not having kind of the fortitude to do what's necessary to break the back of inflation. And and so we were in the in the 70s with gas lines and and uh, stagflation and people's incomes not keeping up with the expenses. And, you know, it was challenging. Right. And so we were trying to run a farm during this period. And this was a period of time. I don't know exactly why it happened. I don't know if it was nefarious or just bad ideas. But the bankers for all farmers were um, were out there doing like variable interest rate loans. And today you would say, oh, my gosh, variable interest rate, that's stupid. Don't do it. But it was the 70s that taught us that. Um, and so we didn't know that in America. And so, you know, fast forward in 1984, I'm like a freshman or sophomore in high school, and we have 21% variable interest rate loans on our farm that year. And it didn't take very long for, you know, for us to lose our, uh, our farm. And, and we were living in a trailer on my uncle's land. You know, being homeless as a kid and uh, living in your uncle's land on a, on a uh, double wide, single wide trailer, right? That has an impression on you. And so I wanted to get a safe, secure job and I wanted to go to college and get as far away from uh, Illinois as I could because at the time, Southern Illinois was high unemployment and all that stuff that was happening. And so when Reagan came in and did the right things, uh, still one of my favorite presidents, he unleashed Paul Volcker, the Fed chair, to go do what was necessary to break inflation. And that resulted in super high inflation. We lost our farm and it galvanized me with a lot of things. And for 20 plus years, I wanted to be a W-2 employee and just have a safe, secure job. Uh, then the Great Recession happens while I'm in command of the Tucson out in Pearl Harbor, paying no attention. Um, and I realized after giving up command to the next guy so that he could get ready for his deployment, um, that I'd lost half my family's wealth. And that really, again, ticked me off. And I threw myself into learning how to how have the wealthy obtained their wealth, held on to it through taxes and through generations and just kind of held on to their, their wealth. Right. So how do you do generational wealth? And it comes down to real estate and not paying, not giving it all up to the government in taxes. And so I threw myself at all that and I learned some things never heard of before. And one of those was infinite banking. And so I'm deeply involved in running businesses real estate, as you said, trying to help others gain agency or the ability to control their own future um, and and um, do it with infinite banking as well. Wow. So quite the childhood. And uh, <laughs> I, I have to ask, you mentioned after that experience, you wanted to get a W-2, a safe, secure job, and you ended up a captain on a nuclear submarine and that was your safe secure w-2 job yeah well um it's it's interesting you know all my money as a w-2 employee right you're supposed to give it off to a professional let them do that and you pay attention to your career right yeah. and uh so you're in it for the long haul dollar cost averaging uh mixed basket of stocks bonds and mutual funds like all these little christmas jingles we heard about for years 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really like, I, you know, like yourself, I'm a, I'm a very religious person and I'm a believer that things are obstacles are put in front of me as, as challenges to be opportunities. Um, but they're lessons that I'm supposed to learn. And so I'm sitting in front of probably my 10th financial advisor because back then none of this stuff was virtual. And so every time I went to a new submarine base, I'd go in front of a new advisor. And this guy was like maybe late 20s, much younger than me personally. I was early 40s at the time. Uh, and he's making recommendations about where I should put my money, you know, and I just asked him, I said, hey, where do you personally have your money? You know, and, uh, and he's like, well, uh, you know, I'm kind of just getting started. And he was stumbling over those answers. Right. And, and I wasn't trying to grill him. I kind of I recognized it. But I left that meeting thinking, you know, I, I put a little mental note, get like more involved in your own finances and figure this stuff out, like do an assessment of this. Right. Um, and so then I go off and I'm, and I'm on the submarine and, and really just fighting for survival with that one. Um, really, it, it was a it was a very challenged uh, ship and crew. Initially, we weren't we just come out of a shipyard and the crew really hadn't been to sea very much. Uh, we grew together. Let me just say that. And uh, and, and it was an incredible experience. Um, we were deployed the last few months that I had the submarine doing things that I will always be proud of and um, certain that we helped uh, uh, to ensure freedoms around the, around the globe. So loved that. Uh, the reason I was telling the story about my financial advisor, though, is that, you know, he asked the question that I always heard about risk versus return. And he said, hey, are you, um, you know, this is like in the first five minutes that I met this new guy. And he says, um, are you, um, to- are you, do you have a good risk tolerance? Because, you know, evidence shows that you should uh, get a good return if you have a good, ri- a good risk tolerance. And I remember answering him, well, you know, I've like 20 years now, I've been going to submarine, going to sea on submarines, going really deep in the ocean. I'm pretty good with risk. You know, <laughs> he's like, that's great because you're going to have great returns. Well, now two years later, fast forward, right? And I had great returns. They were just negative returns. Like I had bigger returns than everybody else in the negative direction. And so I realized that this was nothing more than just a really good uh, sales pitch. And what I learned from Patrick Donahoe that resonated big time with me is that like everything else in our lives, you have to have control um, if you're going to have success, right? So you can't delegate, like we've been taught, we can delegate our financial lives to somebody else that we've never met or met, we meet once a year or something, right? And I mean, you can't do that with your health. You can't say, you work out, help me get more fit, right? They can't do that. You can't, um, you know, your faith, your, your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, you can't delegate any of this stuff if you want to be successful. Yet we've been told you can do that with your finances. And so, yeah, um, the submarine is, you know, it is definitely mitigating some risk. Um, but listen, these are, you know, we have a, a near zero default record, certainly on the nuclear side, no defaults. Sometimes we make mistakes with our submarines, but they're not big ones. And it's because, um, you know, we understand how to uh, mitigate risk and to have as much control as possible. And I've just relayed that into helping my clients do the same thing with their finances. Well, that's really cool. I have to say, just since we're on the topic, thank you for your service. Appreciate um, that. We appreciate it and have a lot of respect for what you and your guys do and have done for this country. There's so many good things where we could take this. You were talking about risk mitigation, being in control. You know, you mentioned the term infinite banking. So why don't you explain that a little bit? See how we can kind of take what you just articulated with the the example of being on the submarine into the financial world. 
Yeah. So what I would like to do, and if you would be so kind as to put this in the show notes or just, you know, my, you know, you can reach out to me at, at Gary at GaryPinkerton.com and I'll send you a copy of uh, my mentor and good friend's book, Patrick Donahoe, and a book called Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. The reason I'm bringing up his book is that in chapter seven and chapter 11, he talks about this analogy that really we adapted from Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs called the hierarchy of wealth. And it's talking about building a foundation underneath, you know, your life. And in this case, the financial side of life to make sure that the, that, you know, your pyramid doesn't fall over that your, that your whole entire structure of wealth for the family for generations doesn't fall over. And that bottom layer is savings and protection of the most important things. So protection of the breadwinner, meaning life insurance and health insurance and disability and things like that. And then protection of your house and, you know, LLCs and things that would be necessary to make sure that you can protect for the family, those assets that you've built. And then it's, it's, so it's savings and protection. Then the savings side is, listen, I think 2020 has taught most of us that you need to have a little bit of cash sitting around if you don't know what's coming around the next bend in life, which might be, you know, do you keep your career? Do you get fired, right? Do you lose your house? Does some huge expense come up? Medical challenge maybe that you weren't expecting. Like those uh, black swans, they call them, right? We know they're coming. We just don't know what they look like and where they're coming from. And so every one of those events, as you age and you get more, you know, notches on the bedpost, if you will, right? Like I get more experiences year after year. And the older people I talk to, say things like you need to have a lot of reserves. Your emergency fund needs to be bigger than what everybody says that it needs to be because they've gone through these experiences like I have now and many of my clients have running businesses when they force you to shut it down kind of stuff. So having a solid foundation, storing cash somewhere where you're in control and you know you have it is important. So I keep talking about that control thing. And that's this hierarchy of wealth that is in Patrick's book that I urge everyone to go and take a look at. And it's just a different lens through which to uh, consider all financial decisions. Should I buy this thing? Should I invest in this thing? It depends on where you are today, right? Like knowing where you want to go is, is useful. I want to get to Disneyland in July. Okay, well, that's great. Where are you starting from, right? Because if you're starting from Australia, you're going to need an airplane or a boat, right? So it's important where you are today. And that plays into what decisions you make in the future financially. And so this infinite banking thing is simply a place to uh, a way to more efficiently grow that money that is that emergency fund, is that reserves, and is the capital that you're saving up for that next business or investment. It's just a more efficient, much better place to serve as a safe, liquid, guaranteed place to store cash. In other words, a savings account. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people right now looking around at the banking system going, hey, I thought I thought you put your money in the bank. It was safe. And there's yeah. these banks failing and maybe our money wasn't in that bank. But we're wondering, well, what about these other banks? You know, and and uh, I actually with this whole thing went back and learned about the history of the FDIC, which we covered on one of the recent past episodes and the socialization really of the banking system. But I remember you told me uh, years ago that. Banks fail all the time, Andrew. They yeah. they don't last nearly as long as these other institutions that you work with as that savings foundation that you're talking about. 
so why don't you just explain sure if we don't work with the banks who do we work with where does our money where, where do we put our cash reserves yeah and great job by the way on those past those recent episodes talking about the fdic talking about silicon valley bank and what happened and the poor decision and what the ramifications will be of bailing out everybody associated with the bank right like we did the same thing in 2008 and 9 uh, and that's actually what drove me, by the way, to get as much real estate as I can possibly get. I buy one to four family properties, but I'd be happy to buy shopping malls if that becomes a, you know, a, a good financial move. Because what I'm trying to do actually is get the long-term government-backed fixed rate loans. To me, the mana when it comes to uh, personal wealth is being able to have the government uh, give you a 30-year guarantee on interest rates. Even at 8% today, I'm excited to get guarantees on my next five properties that I'm building. That's why I get it. I don't get real estate for the cash flow. And again, it comes with the baggage, which is my experience, right? My experience is becoming homeless because of uncontrolled variable interest rates on a property when I was a kid. I realized that if you have $100,000 today and you want to protect it, I recommend not putting it in a bank, right? And I, and I recommend not denominating it just in, in U.S currency or dollars, fiat dollars that are going down in value. You could go buy gold. Problem is no one will rent it from you and, uh, and you can't leverage it. No one will, will lend you money to buy it. But if you go buy real estate instead, some other magical things happen. They will lend you like 80% of the money to buy it. So you could buy five times as much as you could with gold, but they're both hard assets, right? And so you're, you're pretty strongly protected there, but somebody will lend you most of the money and you can rent it out and somebody else will pay off that loan for you and you can get cash flow to boot, right? So I know that you're a huge proponent. You've talked many times about real estate, but that is really, you know, I'm, I think probably unique in that I buy real estate to get the loans, which most people are like, yeah, I would buy real estate, but I don't want to have that loan. It makes me nervous. To me, it makes me excited and, and, and feeling secure to have government backed loans again, because I was on the other side of the Federal Reserve's um, ire and ended up, you know, without a home uh, because of that as a kid. So, yeah. so I wanted to get that in about real estate. So who do we put our money with if we're not putting it with the banks that have all of these challenges with with fractional reserve lending and stuff that you talked about in your previous episodes? And again, did a great job. So really you quick, put it with. Before we go there, Gary, I want to. Yeah. I want to drill down on that just for a second. What you were saying, there's something very important. I don't want folks to miss this uh, because I certainly did before I started to understand this. People think of the bank as a secure place to put their money. Yeah. Right. So you, you mentioned $100,000. So you have $100,000. You go down. Uh, I, I bank with a local credit union here in San Diego. So I go down to the bank and I deposit my $100,000 and I think that's secure. Now, let's say five years later, 10 years later, I come back to the bank and I say, hey, I want my $100,000 back. How secure was it? So number one, the bank could fail, but maybe the FDIC mm -hmm. is backing that up so they could, they could re reassure me, hey, you know, you'll get your $100,000 back. But what is that $100,000 worth? Was it really secure? Do I have the full $100,000 worth of purchasing power maybe is the key here. Yeah. So, you know, it all comes down to the counterparty risk. So in every, every time that you interact with another human or another business, there's counterparty risk. And that's the character of the individual and the claims paying ability 
of the counterparty. So they may be a good person and they may decide to pay you, but they may not have the money to pay. And that's the case with FDIC. I mentioned on my podcast and I was actually, this is two or three episodes ago, I was going through and I was talking about bank failures and I list off just a small fraction of the bank failures in America. And it was a huge list. Uh, And so I, I made that point, but I also commented that you know, I talked about the numbers that would be required to bail out everyone, the money that was committed to bail out everyone at all deposit amounts just on Silicon Valley Bank. And it was like three times what was available in FDIC currently because we retained somewhere in the one to two percent actual liquidity in that trust fund. And the rest of it just gets printed. And so in 2011 through 13, when we started doing quantitative easing, the reason we invented that phrase and started doing it, the bank bailouts, is because they had two choices. And they had the same two choices in every previous bank crisis, and including two weeks ago, right? And that choice is, we can actually enact FDIC and admit that our banking system is so unsafe that we had to use insurance to bail people out of it. Or we can just say, you know what, things happen, gotten a little bit of a problem, but they're important. So too big to fail, we're going to bail them out. And they just give a loan that never gets paid back to the banks. And as a result, they have to say, you know what? We've never had to, our banks are incredibly safe. We have never had to enact FDIC. But here's getting back to your actual question. They made the decision on Monday morning that they were going to pay the depositors for that money. Um, They could make the same decision, an opposite decision next time. Hey, sorry, I looked back in your records and most of the people who bank at this bank that you're at um, they, they buy firearms, right? Because it's on their credit card records, right? And so um, we have decided that that bank is actually not too big to fail. It's a better example if we just let them fail because their business practices were horrible and we want that to be an example. Then all of a sudden you don't have your money, right? And is FDIC a God-given right? I mean, not the last time I looked, it's a, it's a marketing uh, decision by the US government to try to say that the banks are safe. But every time that they're going to go pay out FDIC or bail out a bank, it's a decision by the Treasury Department about whether they're going to do it. Again, it all goes back to counterparty risk. That's why I started my answer with that. You know, it depends on if they decide to bail you out at the time. Right. And if they are bailing out the banks, they right. are diluting the currency so that if you yep. do get your 100000 is your 100000 going to be able to buy the same amount that it did before? So right, exactly. it's, a, it's a guaranteed loss as well when interest rates on savings accounts are low. These savings accounts, you know, are, are such yeah. low interest rates. Inflation is just those the, the purchasing power is just disappearing from your bank account, even if that amount was insured. Right. Absolutely. Hey there, it's Andrew. I pour a lot into the whole steward and I'm so humbled you're listening. Did you know I regularly post new articles to our website? I also send the Holistic Approach to Wealth newsletter once a week, to which you can subscribe at thewholesteward.com slash newsletter. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the show, would you share it with a friend or leave us a review? I'd really appreciate it. Oh, and thanks for listening. So, so tell us then, where would we put our money if not in a bank where it's a guaranteed loss one way or another. Yeah. So it's funny. If you go watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life at, you know, next time when the Christmas movies roll around, you know, George, the, the head of the local bank there, all of his customers were business owners. They weren't individuals. And, and why that is, is because this was set in like the 30s and 40s. 
And that um, that is what people were doing back then. Like no one had their personal money in banks because banks were failing nonstop. And so where they would put their money is actually whole life insurance. Whole life insurance dates back into the 1700s in America. Um, the companies that I use most of the time are early 1800s companies, Penn Mutual, Mass Mutual. And uh, it's funny, I was at a conference with the CEO of Penn Mutual a few weeks ago, and somebody asked, hey, what, you know, how do you handle talking points about when banking crises occur? You've been around a few of them. Like, you know, what have you used as, you know, the best points to get the message across last, you know, in the previous crises that Penn Mutual has encountered? And he said, well, like, well, first, like, which one do you want to, you know, do? Like, we had talking points when it looked like the North was going to lose the Civil War and the currency was going to go away completely, right? So, I mean, the company was around then and it was profitable that year during the Civil War. And the Great Recession and the Great Depression in the early 1900s, uh, all the world wars, and so how do they remain profitable through every economic cycle and have not given up a, a, or have not lost a penny, failed to pay out a penny to any policyholder in nearly 200 years? Well, they do a couple things different than the banks. They're not allowed to do the fractional reserve banking, so they can only lend out what they have. And in fact, they hold back nearly 100% of the deposits at Penn Mutual or at Mass Mutual, um, ready to pay those out as a death benefit or as a cash surrender if anybody were to do so. And so you can go and Google and search, and there are no uh, lawsuits against these large mutual whole life companies about people you know, going to court because they didn't get their money back. It just doesn't happen. So it's just a completely different business model, but it is a financial institution um, that is just has less government interaction and it has you know, less of the fractional reserve fiat uh, involvement. Interesting. So you mentioned something that these companies have been some of them that you work with around from before the civil war. Are there any yeah. banks still around that were open before the civil war? Yeah. I mean, I think JP Morgan chase back in when it was called the Morgan bank. Um, right. I think, you know, it was around, but uh, there are a few, but very few. There are some that have, have morphed, mar morphed. Is that the phrase? Yeah. Morphed into new names. So there are a few that are around, but they've been bailed out to stay into existence. Right. That's a big difference. So the uh, yeah. mutual insurance companies, they have not been bailed out because of the, sh the business right. structure that you just described. Yeah. 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 And so it's seems a little anticlimactic. There are certainly plenty in my industry that will, you know, dance and talk about all kinds of bells and whistles of this thing about how you're earning your money in multiple places at one time. Um, you, you actually get wealthy by borrowing against it. And all those things are a little too far out there for my comfort level. I talk about it as just what it is, which is a place uh, where you're putting money with a company that has an incredible track record and they are collecting, protecting and growing dollars called premiums for the intent one day to pay it to your family as a tax-free death benefit. But it allows you to use after-tax money. I mean, you can think of it similar as a Roth, but it's not controlled by the government. It's not like in jail until you're 59 and a half, completely unlimited on the contribution amounts. Um, and you have access throughout your lifetime. You get it, So it's after-tax money going in that you grow without any taxes on the growth. And then it passes on to the next generation without taxes as well. And so that's that kind of three-step way of not paying taxes on the growth ever and repeating it with the next generation. So tell us a little bit about the mechanics of mm -hmm. how we would use uh, one of these policies, because, yeah. you know, 
I know how the mechanics of the bank works. I walk mm-hmm. down there with some cash in my pocket. I hand it to him or I do a wire transfer and then I can log in, you know, to a, an online portal or whatever and see, oh yeah, you know, there's a, they say this is how much money I have in my account. And, you know, the next day I could go take it out or I could put more in or, you know, it, with the, yeah. with the whole life insurance policy, is it as flexible as a bank account? And they just you don't know, give fractional close. reserve banking yeah. or what? Yeah, so it is it is close. They're not doing fractional reserve banking. So when if you have $100,000 in cash value, you can either withdraw that money like you would out of your checking account. Yet, uh, once you um, recognize and, and appreciate the impact of the opportunity cost of using cash all the time for things, uh, then you would probably forego doing that and you would rather pledge it as collateral, borrow against the policy, and then make payments back on that loan. So why do I say there's an opportunity cost of using cash? Let's use my first rental property as an example. 2011, I purchased a property. The down payment was roughly $50,000. And I decided that the cash flow from it was going to help me pay off that down payment, that 50K, over um, the net cash flow over like 10 years. Or actually, let's call it uh, 25 years. And in that 25-year period of time, I was going to borrow at 6% at the time. They're not that high now, but at the time, 6%. And I could earn about the same 6% on the, on the money that's sitting in there. So I put my money in there and earn 6% without taxes for the next 25 years. That turns uh, that results in $165,000 worth of growth. Just put it into a savings account calculator. And at the same time, um, I would have borrowed money from the insurance company at the same rate and paid them back on an amortized schedule over 25 years. I would have paid $47,000 in interest. Now, that normally stops most people. They're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to borrow against my own money and pay $47,000 in interest. I'd rather just pay the cash. I'll save the $47,000. And that's totally true. The problem is there's an opportunity cost of doing that. And that opportunity cost was what could it have grown to become in that 25 years? And at that same rate with no taxes, $215,000 or $165,000 of growth. So, I paid 47 to earn 165. So there's a massive opportunity cost over a long period like that of using your cash to buy cars, to buy your investments, to pay for your next residence or any other major thing, kids college. And so once you recognize that, you say, okay, never mind. I'm not going to withdraw my money like I would out of a checking account. I'm going to borrow against it. And so I borrow and use the cash flow from whatever I borrowed it for, the investment, to pay it back off. Or I use my income to pay it back off. And so it's this banking system you have, and you pledge it as collateral from time to time to borrow and repay. Now, it's pretty flexible at the beginning because we take normal whole life insurance and we modify it to focus on the cash value, not the death benefit. Still a tremendous amount of death benefit there, protecting your family. Yet you have access to something like 80% of the money in year one and more in year two. And by like year five, you have access to more than you've even contributed. And the entire time, all the money that you've contributed is growing at this, you know, call it 5% a year without taxes. So that sounds pretty amazing. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out where to take this. There's a, there's a, there's so many, like you said before, there's, there's a lot of bells and whistles and things that, you know, you can, you could use this, but, you know, I want to just make sure that the foundation is yeah. is understood. 
someone would yeah if i could if i could andrew if you you know if you just back out and you look at it from far enough distance yeah away, right there's a lot of aspects of this there's different features you have to add and that's my job to explain it to you to the level that you want to you want it explained but also to make sure that it's in place you have to use the right company you have to put the right writers and features on it it's not hard it's not rocket scientists but you do have to somebody have somebody who's experienced in doing this and i'd recommend somebody who just solely does this um, but you know, your, your favorite insurance guy can probably pull it off if he's positioned with the right kind of mutual insurance companies already. So, uh, so that part, you know, that's our job to handle. But if you look far enough away from time to time, you will have money in your life. I hope for the rest of your life, you have money in your life sufficient to do what you and the family want to do and to be able to, to tithe and give to others that you believe in. Um, and so when you have this money in your life, question is, where do you store it? Right. If you respect money because of its ability to help others, then you're going to want to store it like not out on the front doorstep with a big sign that says, take me. Right. You want to put it somewhere where it you can treat it well. Like I talk about and, and maybe from a religious connotation, this doesn't sound good, but I talk about my money being my soldiers because I have things I want to do. I, we could call them our workers. Let's call it that way. My money is my workers. They go off and do my bidding for me and they do good. And maybe even come back with more money that we can do even more good, right? And so um, do how do I want to treat my workers, my little employees, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I can make them sleep outside. I can make them sleep at Motel 6 or they could sleep at the Four Seasons. I want mine to sleep at the Four Seasons. So Motel 6 is a typical bank. Sleeping outside is like your shoe box uh, in your, your, your sock drawer at home, right? Um, and then the Four Seasons is a life insurance policy because it's growing much better. It's not getting taxed. It's protected by the strongest private companies out there. And it has an incredible track record that they actually give it back to you, you know? And so I have my money from time to time when it's between jobs, sleeping at the Four Seasons. And then when I want to access it to go do something with it, I send it off to do my bidding. So, you know, it's just a box you store money in. And the question is, is it the right box for you? And I'd love to have a conversation with people if they think it might be. That sounds great. And uh, before we wrap this up, just to make sure that we understand it's a place to store our call it foundational reserves once you get above that you were talking about the hierarchy of wealth and by the way i highly recommend the heads i win tails you lose book that gary mentioned but when you look at that hierarchy of wealth you are using this financial strategy at the foundation. But then once you start stepping up, if you say, hey, I wanna invest in real estate, or I wanna invest in a syndication or hard money lending, or you know, I wanna invest in the next, you know, if you can call it investing, the next you know, cryptocurrency, which is more like uh, gambling. But you know, if you wanna do that, that would be at the very, very top, you know, the highest risk potential. So how do you start moving beyond that foundation up the wealth pyramid? Yeah, and so that's how I think uh, I and Paradigm Life kind of stand out from other insurance advisors. Uh, I'm positioning myself as a wealth strategist, which is somebody who helps uh, educate on taxes, show examples that I have personally done to help kind of uh, do investments that, that reduce or are tax efficient at least. Um, and that provide great cash flow. And again, you have to invest based on you know knowing where you're starting. 
And, and so I have this whole hierarchy of wealth in, in a um, financial questionnaire and kind of background system at Paradigm Life with our client portal, which is brand new. Um, and it will take your inputs and anything that I add to it after conversations with you. And it creates this hierarchy of wealth for you. And so you can see visually, where am I? Man, I am seriously heavy up in tier four in my 401k and IRA, which I have no control over, right? And I'm, I'm really deficient down here in directly owned assets. Maybe I should focus there. And so it helps you understand what investment to do. And then again, I will help you navigate that, understand different choices that I've personally made, make some suggestions uh, on maybe where you should invest. Very little of this is market-based stuff. Most of it is alternative real estate, natural resources, and other things like that, and directly owned real estate and businesses. Um, and so that is actually putting to work the money that's in the foundation, sending those workers off to do your bidding in a way such that it provides cash flow, perhaps appreciation, and then tax advantages. And that's how we're going to create agency for our clients and friends by enabling them to not lose it all in taxes, not lose it all with somebody um, in a bad investment, uh, and to you know get those wealth creating forces working in the background behind you. I love doing that. My day job is just helping you first establish the foundation. When you work with somebody as a wealth strategist, just me being curious about business and yeah. wondering about the, you know, the relationship that we would have with you, I'd like you to just explain how do you make money personally yeah. in this business? And then second, once you're done making money, are your services done? And then people are just left to figure it out on their own or how does that work? No. So we are connecting. If you, if you uh, like the connection, we're connecting for life. Right. And many of you may be younger than me. So it may be my life, not yours. <laughs> but then after that, I have a succession plan. Uh, and, and so it is my intention to bring on lifelong clients and friends and uh, if I'm able to uh, match you with something that is a fit for you and you're comfortable with, meaning one of these infinite banking policies, or perhaps it's something else like an annuity or, or a retirement kind of vehicle or something like that, but typically it's an infinite banking policy, then the insurance company will take care of me. They will compensate me. It's in their like expense ledger, um, having us represent them. And so like a, if you're thinking about real estate broker, for example, I'm both a buyer and a seller agent, right? So I'm representing the insurance company, but my primary relationship is with you. And so I match you to one of the 10 companies that I work with. And then I am uh, incentivized by them to take good care of you. Um, then, you know, there are different models after you go beyond that. My intention is to meet with you several times a year to talk taxes, to talk investments, to refresh on your policies. Uh, and just any other kind of financial strategy or question that, that the client has. So lifelong relationship meeting, you know, I would say on average, I'm meeting between one and five times a year with all of my clients. That's amazing. Well, if folks want to learn more, how can they uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, great. So I mentioned before my email is Gary at GaryPinkerton.com. If you just go to GaryPinkerton.com, you can get a copy of Patrick's book. You can see some information about my podcast, Gary's Gulch podcast. And if that sounds like a very awkward name, it's because of Ayn Rand and the book uh, Atlas Shrugged. And so your audience is probably pretty familiar, but if not, please go grab that book and start chewing away at the 700 pages. But Gary at GaryPinkerton.com is the best way to do it. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for taking the time to explain some of this to us. And uh, we really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Absolutely. My honor. Take care. Wow, how cool was that? An alternative banking strategy that is outside of the banks with companies that have been around for 150 plus years with an excellent track record and features that you won't get at a bank. It's kind of a different ball game. You have to be careful and disciplined when you use it. However, there are some things of a great benefit. Think about this. The death benefit is guaranteed to you. You pay into your insurance policy for all these years. And if you have term insurance, the insurance cost is so low that they're expecting not to have to pay you for that. Because when the term expires, then you paid all that money for the insurance and now you do not get a payout of the death benefit, supposing you survive the term. With guaranteed whole life, the death benefit is guaranteed to you because it matures over a long period of time. Now, as you pay in, it's all just math. They figure out what is the likelihood of you dying within a certain amount of time versus what can we afford to pay in death benefit, supposing the person were to survive that long? And so it, the death benefit is guaranteed to you, either prematurely if you die before the expected time, or if you live the expected time, by that time the wealth will have grown to a point where they can guarantee that they're going to pay you out. That is an incredible feature. I never was one that was very big on life insurance because I have a lot of family in the area and I thought, why would I pay for insurance when my father-in-law says he'll take his daughter back anytime as long as I don't come with her? But there's this idea that we protect other things in our life, like our house. You know, if you didn't have insurance on your house, people would think you were crazy or car insurance all different types of insurance. And generally people think, oh, that's kind of a wise thing to do. But then when it comes to the most valuable in our life, our spouse or our children, we don't have any insurance. Gary Pinkerton would say, insure those to the hilt. An insurance company understands that the most valuable things in your life can and will and should be insured. This guaranteed whole life insurance offers some features that may be interesting to you. Even if you're past retirement age, you can still have a conversation with Gary. He may still be able to help you. Now, I'm not an expert on this in any stretch, but Gary Pinkerton is, and he will spend as much time with you as you desire to help explain and dive deeper if you want to. I highly encourage you to reach out to him. There's all types of bells and whistles, but really at the core, we discussed it. It's 
offering an alternative to the traditional banking system. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me, Andrew at thewholesteward.com. I can try to answer them, or even better, reach out to Gary himself. He's a really genuine guy. I've known him for years. If nothing else, you get to talk with a captain on a nuclear submarine. What a special day today. Reach out to him at Gary at GaryPinkerton.com. You can get a copy of Patrick Donahoe's book, Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. And now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusion. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.